knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen Sharp and I have Angela with me, still sitting in for Ashley. And I did want to say that I've talked to Angela and so we may bring her back sometimes, even when Ashley's back, kind of as a third person. So I'm kind of excited Yay. about that. She agreed agreed to that, but Ashley is just having so much fun enjoying her new baby and, and being a mommy. And he's the cutest little guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got a, if you haven't seen him go on Twitter, go on Facebook and mm-hmm. he's got this head of dark hair and he's, he's just adorable. It's well, one thing we said about tonight's episode, this was not what we had planned. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we said, because of some things going on, on social media, we said, you know what, we need to do a whole episode on this topic. Now, anyone I think who's on social media very much, any Christian, any of our listeners has probably seen a post that's been going around. It pretty much went viral and it is by a page called The Transformed Wife. And that is run by a woman named Lori Alexander. And earlier this week, or when you're listening to this, would be last week, she put a post out that said, men prefer debt-free virgins without tattoos. And then that post that she had, she kind of had a graphic with that little saying on it. And that little post linked back to an article where she talked about how men prefer debt-free virgins without tattoos. And this this went viral because so many people were upset by it. And there was kind of a, the people that took issue with it kind of fall into a few different categories. There were the the feminists, the, non, the non-Christians who just think it's awful. Then you have um, people like us who said, eh, back up a little bit. <laughs> this maybe isn't a great <laughs> thing. And so we, we wanted to talk about that, but not, not only that. Tonight, we're actually going to talk about various things that women hear. And I want to say, you might be a man that's tuned in and thought, oh, this 
episode isn't for me. I actually want to say it's it's almost more for the men because I want men to understand what sorts of things that women are fighting against because this stuff is not just online on some random page. There are aspects of what we're going to talk about tonight that are in our reformed churches. Mm-hmm. And and men need to be aware and when we had several posts in the group and we said, hey, we're going to talk about some of these things that are out there that that women hear that are said. And, you know, if you have anything you want to add to that and some women commented, but I got several private messages from women saying, I want to tell you my story because I was the woman in that stuff. And this could be a whole series because there's so, so, so much to get to, but, (laughs) and I, I'm not going to be afraid to name names tonight. And let, so let me just start with this, uh, about a year and a half ago when the group, the podcast was fairly new, the group was fairly new. Somebody posted something from Lori Alexander. I was not familiar with her at that point, but one of the other admins in my group said, Ooh, no, 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 she's, not somebody we want posted in the group. And so at that point, I'm like, well, I need to go learn about this woman because she seems to have a pretty popular page. You know, a a Christian woman looking for a wife page may say, oh, here's here's a page for Christian wives. This can be helpful. But when I looked up for information, there just was not very much from conservative Christians. Most of what I find found opposing her was from people maybe more egalitarians or non-Christians. And so we really want to approach this and say, you know, we we're conservative Christians and have very strong views on biblical manhood and womanhood and appropriate roles and things like that. But we still take issue with her overall message. I was going to just circle back to what you said about inviting men um, to stay with us um, for this episode, because, um, you know, we were having a little bit of a conversation earlier today on social media where a man tweeted at you and asked a question about this post. And, and we had a a very short conversation, but, you know, I said to him, I'm, I'm really uh, glad that you're asking this question and interested. And here's why, because I think that sometimes um, posts like these, I, I think there are a lot of godly husbands out there who can see these sorts of posts and go, oh, that's just ridiculous. And um, they can see some error there and they see, oh, this is this is silly. This is not what I want my wife uh, to be following. However, I think that sometimes folks look at these things and go, this is just fringe. This is just whatever. Everybody looks at this and sees that it's not something to follow. And I think that that's not actually true. Um, I think that we need to take these types of ministries seriously in addressing the error that they are putting out there because they do have a very large following. So, you know, before we started recording tonight, I took a look at some of these ministries and there's a handful that we talk about in our Theology Gals group that are all very similar and teaching the same things. So this transformed wife that's uh, 
Lori Alexander. She's got about 80,000 followers on Facebook. No Greater Joy, that's Michael and Debbie Pearl. They have about 55,000. Above Rubies, that's Nancy Campbell. She has about 107,000. These are not tiny and they're not, you know, in, in a way, some of the things that they are teaching, I understand when we look at that and say that's fringe, but they have a big following. And so even in our reformed world, even if you are not a big follower of, of these folks, I think it's really important for men to know that your wives and daughters are very likely going to come across this teaching because if it, they are either going to come across it by a friend, um, a lady in a Bible study, whatever, may recommend this, a friend on social media. I mean, and we're a reformed Facebook group and we have folks that try to recommend this stuff very often in our group. It's very, very often. So right. I, I just wanted to say that it's it's not really just, oh, just laugh it off. That I, I think that we really want to address this seriously. Yes. And one thing, you know, I, I noticed, Angela, that when some people were sharing it on their pages, there were some people saying, well, you're just mocking her or you're just judging her. And that that is not what we're doing tonight. My heart has been extremely heavy this week Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and hearing stories from gals in my group. And I talked to a friend today who's told me this stuff almost ruined my marriage. Mm -hmm. And, and let me tell you where I ran into it because some of our listeners, some of the parents out there will know what I'm talking about. I ran into this in homeschooling circles. So a lot of times for me, I did not run into it very much in my church, you know, when my children were young and I was trying to figure out some right. things, but I ran into this in homeschooling circles. And I think there's something about it that tends to be very attractive to homeschoolers, you know, we're, we're conservative. We, we have chosen to stay at home with our children, to school mm-hmm. our children at home. And, and so I, it tends to be kind of attractive. I think that sometimes legalism is something that homeschoolers, I, and I, I don't want to overgeneralize there, but, and I don't know what it's like now because I haven't homeschooled in several years, but when I was in homeschooling circles as a homeschooling mom, there was a lot of legalism, so mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of judgment in the in the wrong ways too. So, I think I'm I'm actually going to start with the one the the man that had tweeted at me. Hey, do you, what do you think about this one? This was actually another one from Lori Alexander that had come out in the last couple of days. But I think it might be a really great place to start. And this sure. one had said, it's easy to tell when a woman is in rebellion to her God-given authority, which is her husband, when she asks these questions after reading any comments about a wife's responsibility in marriage. What is his responsibility? How is he supposed to treat me? Isn't he supposed to love me as Christ loved the church? She has no desire to look at her own faults, but only at her husband's faults. And then she basically says a woman with a teachable spirit and a soft heart is not going to ask these questions. And let me just very briefly say uh, something that I think that that is a false dichotomy. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what you had said. What you had said, Angela, I think, I don't think that you can say a woman who says, well, what's a man's role in marriage? 
is automatically in rebellion and not considering her own faults or her own roles. It's quite possible for her to be doing both. Yes. Well, I think we have a lot of women that maybe didn't grow up in a Christian home or they didn't have Mm -hmm. a father who demonstrated godliness. And so it is helpful for them to understand a man's role. We've talked about on our episodes where we've talked about biblical manhood and womanhood, we've talked about like submission is in view of a husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church. It's not just that a woman is going to submit and a man controls her. God's, you know, calls a woman to submit to her husband, but he also calls a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. I think it is, it is helpful in understanding the whole picture in which God calls us to. Right. It's very interesting because as complementarians, we would say that these roles are meant to fit together and complement one another. So I I don't see how it's, I don't actually see how it would be a bad thing for a wife working on understanding and working through submission and uh, thinking about practical ways that she submits to her own husband. I don't think it's unusual at all to want to understand headship along at the same time because they complement and fit together. Exactly. Um, So uh, knowing that they work together, it would be very helpful to know things about both sides of the coin. So I I don't think it's a fair characterization of a woman who asks questions to say that she is unwilling to look at her own um, faults. I don't think that that's, I think that that is generally a graceless characterization of of probably most women, Christian women who are seeking to serve their husband and serve the Lord. Right. And, you know, I, I have mentored a lot of young women and are there instances where a wife is in sin and, and she is maybe even doing things that she ought not do. And she says, well, he's not doing what he should do either. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, of course there are Mm -hmm. situations like that. We're not we are not denying that. I've had situations where I've said, you know, as long as there's not abuse present, that those passages don't say, if your husband does what he's supposed to do, then you do these things. It right. Just says, exactly. This is what you're called exactly. to. And so I'm, I'm not afraid to say hard things to a woman that I might be mentoring and encouraging her to love her husband as scripture calls her to. But that would be in the context of a relationship that you have established with a particular right. woman and you would know a lot about her life. You've been mentoring that woman and you would know that this is the appropriate time to say, hey, you need to focus, get your eyes on your paper and and focus in on what you should be doing to submit. You still need to submit. That would be appropriate when you know the details of someone's situation. But that is entirely different than blanket saying that if you ever have a question about what does headship mean, you necessarily are not, are, are having a rebellious spirit. Yeah, absolutely. But I think really, and what we're going to get into right now is this is part of an entire mentality. There was something I I read to my husband earlier where it, it called a woman who has a difference in opinion from her husband in rebellion. And, you know, I, I don't think that my husband would be very happy if I just asked him what to think about everything. We, mm-hmm. we have great conversations even when we disagree. And you can disagree and still honor your husband. You can disagree respectfully. I've right. 
I've spoken before about how when we've we're making a big decision and and I said, you know, I I don't like that idea. I like this idea over the, here, but I actually did respect the decision that he made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he will say, my husband will say to me, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to know what you think. And right. he, even if it's different than what he thinks. And so to actually call, I mean, that that is a very, I mean, they're really building a foundation here in the entire way of thinking when you say that it's you're in re- rebellion as a woman if if you have a differing opinion of your husband. Right. And it's very interesting going back to the last one about not asking questions about headship, how those <laughs> those two ideas sort of fit together in this philosophy. Um, you know, if if you are not supposed to participate in any decision making, have a separate opinion ever function in any kind of advisory role to your husband, it it makes sense that we don't want you to try to think about what headship means. We don't want you to have questions about him and what he's supposed to be doing. We just want you to obey. And, and I know that, I know that we probably have listeners who are hearing me say that, and that sounds harsh, but those are the words that are said in uh, some of these posts by these ministries. Yes, absolutely. Well, I wanted to go through just so that people understand for for those of you who have been exposed to this, maybe even influenced in this, and then for those who are just trying to understand what's out there, I want to go through some different areas in which they say specific things and talk about each of those areas. And one of the things, if you haven't listened to our episode on purity culture, I'm going to link it in the episode notes because Mm -hmm. I would encourage that you listen to it because I really think that this is another version of purity culture. There is, it, it really is portrayed like a husband is uncontrollable, you know, sexually and a wife, um, has potential to seduce men without even trying. And, uh, you know, even there's even things with what we talked about in purity culture, where before a woman gets married, where it's portrayed, like your husband's going to need sex all the time and you're probably not going to want it very much, but you just need to do it. So it's a, it's that Mm -hmm. same sort of, of mentality where it really it really does paint men a specific way and women a specific way. So I wanted to start with really what women are dealing with starting from when they are single. And it is portrayed like being a wife and mom is the ultimate goal for every single woman. And if you aren't a wife and or mom, then you're just kind of on another level. You haven't quite made it because that is what every woman should aspire to. And everything that you do in life is to make yourself attractive to attract that godly man so you can acquire that marriage and children. Right. Um, I was reading um, as much as I could to prepare and research for for this episode. And one of the posts that I read from one of these ministries says in it, the ultimate glory and beauty of the female is her maternalness. I mean, uh, so this is a message that's given to girls before their age to be thinking about a husband. Um, 
because really that's the thing that they want them to be thinking about. This is your ultimate goal. This is your uh, end game is husband and children. And of course we are not saying that those are bad things. Both of us are married women with children. um, And many of the women in our group are married women with children. However, we also have wonderful godly women in our group who are single and who may remain single as what the Lord has for them for their life. So how do you, do you have experience Colleen with how is this message damaging to those ladies? I know you get messages from them. What do they say? How is this hurtful? Well, I, I have received messages just this week from a few of the single ladies in our group or a couple of them, but I've also talked in the past to a couple others and they say that they really do feel less than because they're 24 and still single or 27 and still single. They feel left out in the church. They feel like they need to get going and find that husband because until they do that, they're really not living their purpose as women. And, you know, one of the, our group admins, she stepped down recently just because of um, being very busy, but she is 50 and single. And she is an incredibly wise woman. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's portrayed like a single woman can't possibly have wisdom, which is ridiculous. Right. Is. This particular person is an amazingly wise godly woman encourages me all the Mm -hmm. time. And, and I know that she did not set out to be single her whole life and the Lord could still bring a man to her. Um, but it wasn't that she sat out for that. She just, sometimes it really is not in your control. You know, you don't meet someone who asks you to marry them. And so she's always single and no children. And think about how difficult I I think about it quite often because I've heard single women talk about this. I think about how difficult it must be to feel like they're missing out on something that's important to every person's life when that's how it's portrayed. Right. And so I I just want to say to those ladies listening right now that if what the Lord has for you for your life is to remain single, you are not less beautiful or less female. Um, That's what some of these quotes say is that your beauty and femaleness is wrapped up in being wifely and motherly. And, you know, we want those women to hear that if you remain single for your life, you are not less beautiful and not less female. Um, You are, are still glorifying the Lord and especially glorifying the Lord in the plan that he has for you with the gift of singleness. And so, um, you know, our glory is really, it's in the gospel. It's in who we are in the Lord and in union with Christ. And and that's, that's really what this is about too. That's foundational to what they're being taught is, is identity in Christ seems to be an afterthought to this identity as a wife and mom that's portrayed as the most important, best thing. And I think this really goes back to our ongoing discussion about vocation. Mm-hmm. And so wherever it is that the Lord has you, if you're a single woman who is a teacher and you are teaching Bible study and, you know, whatever, wherever it is that the Lord has you, that, that is what, what the Lord has called you to. That is your vocation. You might not have the vocation of, of wife and mom and 
and some of these other things, but you are a, a friend. I mean, that, that can be a type of vocation too, in the same way that being a mom can, and maybe you're a mentor that in the church to other women or a Bible study leader, and then you may have a, a career and I, I really think it's important to understand vocation and that whatever it is that the Lord has called you to is an amazing thing. And you can glorify the Lord in that wherever he has you. That's right. The, the other thing that is so important is that our, our most important identity is who we are in Christ. Whether you are a mom and a wife or you're single or you're a dad or maybe you're a single man, who you are in Christ is your most important identity. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of these conversations where we're seeking to have identity in all these things, you know, a, a debt-free uh, virgin without tattoos is like our identity. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's funny, you know, um, one of the things that I was reading um, about some of these ministries and groups a lady said that in her experience, having come out of this group and this teaching, that it is really a focus on the externals of Christianity and true internal heart holiness is an afterthought if it's a thought at all. And I know, again, I know that sounds harsh, but I we've read a lot of testimonies and talked to a lot of ladies and um, folks who have direct experience with this, and this is the story that they tell. And so um, I believe that that's the truth. There is a, a great article on the White Horse Inn blog about the debt-free virgins without tattoos. And, and one line of it I wanted to read. And she says, my concern is with the author's presupposition that wife and motherhood are the only callings to which pious women should aspire. Her notes on the nature of university education and the role of women in society don't encourage true Christian virtue so much as they promote an extremely reductionistic view of Christian femininity. And, and I think that, so there's a couple problems with the emphasis in the original article, and I don't think that they encourage true Christian virtue. But I think the other thing is that there is no gospel. And so yeah. what happens is if you're supposed to aspire to this wife and motherhood and you are supposed to prepare yourself almost like you're presenting this perfect rose to your husband. And what about the woman who became a Christian later and was sexually active? And what about right. the woman that, I, I mean, I hate to even say this, but I've heard even from women that were sexually abused that they feel almost like they're dirty and not worthy because of this. Yeah. And, and that is heartbreaking and it is coming back to this idea that um, it's interesting. The original post um, talked about virginity um, which we would hold differently than purity. Um, we would say that, it's possible for someone to be a, a virgin in the strictest sense, but still not be pure. They, they can be embroiled in things that are not pure at all and still have held on to that outward mark or 
maybe not even be a believer that there's just so many things that go into play. What they're doing is holding that one single marker of virginity higher than heart purity than many other things. And we are not saying that virginity is not something that we should, as believers, we should want to maintain virginity until marriage. We, we believe that sex is for within the confines of marriage, but what happens when someone is, uh, becomes a believer after they've been sexually active? Or what happens when someone sins and they are already a believer and and fail? We have had ladies confess in our group. I've struggled with this and I've sinned in this way. Help me work through this and say no to temptation and say no to sin. And they're repentant. And here's the thing. They don't need shame heaped on. They need the comfort of the gospel, that your righteousness is found in Christ that your value is not in a certain kind of perfection and, or adhering to a list of rules, but your value is in being redeemed and in union with Christ. And so the message that I would wish that women would hear who, because, um, you know, this article is written, she did come out and, and post a second article and say, you know, this is written to young women who are looking for a husband. And I should have titled it, Godly Men Want Virgins with No Tattoos and No Debt. Well, in my opinion, I don't think changing that title helps at all, because here's why. Godly men want a woman who loves the Lord. And that woman may have baggage, and she most certainly will not be perfect, and neither is he. And at the end of the day, there are, there are most likely many, many believers in the church who the person that the Lord has for them to marry is not a virgin, or has debt, or has lots of tattoos. And, uh, you know, what are we saying to those people? What we want to say is your value is in the Lord. Your value is in being redeemed in union with Christ. Your righteousness is in him, and it's not in these other things. Yeah. Amen. And and that's one of the reasons we're doing this episode is because I I want women who have a past, who, ha- and guess what? Every single one of us does. That's right. I, Somebody can be a virgin with a porn addiction, you know. Let me, let me say this because I think I think this is super important. Is we've done episodes on law and gospel because we think that's so important. Is understanding the the why and the how and the what of of the law and the gospel, and we've talked about sanctification. And we've talked about these different things. And I think one of the problems is this is coming from a very different place foundationally that does not have a correct biblical view of law and gospel and justification mm-hmm. and sanctification. And let me let me even say this. Lori Alexander promotes the pearls. If you are not familiar with them, they're best known for some parenting books called To Train Up a Child. And then they also, she has a book called Created to Be His Help Meet. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to link in the episode notes a couple of articles that Tim Challies did on them because they're probably the best articles that explain the problems with it. But she promotes the pearls. They are pretty darn close to Pelagians in their theology. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you're when you are preaching law to Christians with a wrong understanding of justification and sanctification and a and no law gospel distinctions it's it's going to be problematic on so many levels. Right. Yeah, in, in doing some of my reading for this episode, I did come across some analysis of the pearls where a a person was talking about having gone to some of their conferences, sat under their teaching directly, and this person said that they directly deny um, the doctrine of original sin. So they, and I'll also add as well, Lori Alexander, she promotes the pearls, but she also says in her her blog uh, writing that she was a rebellious wife until she met Debbie Pearl and started being mentored by her. So I believe that she is directly, you know, directly taking their teaching. They Their teachings are very, very similar. So when, when these folks deny original sin, what they are saying is that we are starting from a place where our, we are not corrupted by um, the sin of our father, Adam. We are starting from a place of neutral where we can do it. You can do it. Try if you try hard enough, it is possible for you to remain sinless. And so what this introduces is the idea that effort is part of your salvation. Works is part of your salvation. And so this is a problem because just like you said, this teaching is flowing from a foundation that is rotten. It is flowing from a basic understanding that we can earn something, earn a standing with God through obeying rules. And we know that to be false. Yes. And, and that's one of the pro- reasons why, why this is, is problematic. One, one of the areas that, of course, she talks about a lot is modesty. And we're going to do a whole episode on modesty. And I know some people are nervous about us doing that. (laughs) Oh no. Like that's the thing. You're not supposed to talk about modesty anymore. So I'm only going to briefly talk about this. Uh, A lot of those in these circles will say things like women are only supposed to wear dresses, that it's sinful. And I'm I'm not sure that Lori Alexander says that, but in some of these same circles, you will see Mm -hmm. that sort of teaching. And, but there's also when when modesty is promoted, the, the primary reason that women are encouraged to be modest is to protect their brothers from lust. And one, one of the problems with that is obedience to God, again, is like an afterthought. So mm-hmm. because now, now it's important to understand that all of these people do hold to patriarchy. So they see that all women are under all men in, in some ways. And so their view of women is, is flawed and unbiblical. But I think that a lot of girls, I've heard it in our group quite a bit, grew up in this where 
you need to make sure that you're modest so your brothers don't sin. But what happens when it's emphasized in that way so strongly is that a woman will even attempt to dress modestly and then bear some of the blame if, if someone lusts after her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the teachings that Lori has out on her page says, if your husband glances at other women, do not get jealous or angry since this makes nothing better. A jealous and angry wife pushes her husband farther away from him and she becomes less attractive to him. Anger and bitterness actually make women ugly. Instead of getting jealous and or angry, make yourself more beautiful to him by becoming more kind, more loving, more attentive to his needs, and more gentle. This will draw him towards you instead of pushing him farther away. No, this will not be your natural reaction. It will be a godly reaction from walking in the spirit instead of the flesh. You are a new creature now, remember? You must act like one. And they, if you read a lot of her stuff, it is portrayed. And I've even seen, I don't know if it was in Debbie Pearl's stuff, it may have been, or your husband has an affair, then you have probably done something to create that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You aren't, you aren't doing what you ought in the bedroom. You've maybe gained too much weight after your last yep. baby. And so you're not attractive to him. You need to make yourself more attractive. And I mean, I saw even in one of them, and I don't have the direct quote, but it was kind of like, if your husband is looking at other women, you need to make yourself more attractive and seduce him. And so really the wives bear the responsibility for their husband's sexual sin. So it's, it's also, so in the same way that the, the primary emphasis for modesty is so that your brothers do not sin, there's also an emphasis that you need, you better be doing what you ought for your husband or he's going to have to go stray. That's exactly right. It's, it's sad because what this essentially boils down to is a prosperity gospel kind of teaching. If you can strive hard enough to be fit enough, to be gentle enough, to be submissive enough, to cook well enough and clean well enough and homeschool well enough. And it's, it's really an endless list. But if you can do all of those things well enough, as she says right in here, this will draw him towards you instead of pushing him farther away. It, there is no guarantee. <laughs> we seek holiness to please the Lord The only way that we are able to do that is if we are in him and we have his alien righteousness. That's his righteousness that Christ earned by his perfect life and was imputed to us. His spirit, the Holy Spirit, sanctifies us and enables us to produce fruit. There's um, in Reformed theology, we have simul justice at peccator. It's at the same time, a saint and a sinner. It means I, I'm sanctified. I'm in the Lord. And yet this side of the new heavens and the new earth, I am still going to struggle with sin. And so there's a way in which the speed that I'm sanctified with is up to the Lord. And absolutely am, am I to be mortifying sin, but I, I cannot just pull up my bootstraps and be the perfect wife one day. And it's certainly not the truth that if somehow I could, that I am guaranteed a husband who returns that back to me. Uh, Many women that we know are in 
difficult situations in their marriage and enduring or going uh, through troubles that can't be endured. And no amount of trying harder to be more perfect is really going to solve that issue. There, there is a portrayal. I've been reading a lot of the stuff that come from this. Like there, if you you have troubles in your marriage, it is probably your fault. You know, to the woman, you know things like if if you're taking over and challenging your husband, then he can't be a leader. And so, so much of in the same way that Angela was talking about your own sanctification. The same is true in regards to your husband. He is still a sinner that is struggling with sin. And even if you were as close to being a perfect wife as possible, your husband is still going to sin and you do not bear the responsibility for his sin. You are absolutely responsible for your sin, but Mm -hmm. he is responsible for for his sin. It's interesting that uh, I think that is a very important point. Um, You know, marriage is... A marriage is between two sinners. And I know that in some of these particular circles, some of them may even believe in something called entire sanctification. They, they may actually believe that it's possible for us to be sinless in this life. And so um, that, that is, of course, what we would say is a false teaching. It's, it's not the truth. It's not possible. And so that, that's part of what I think is very dangerous about some of these teachings is that there are little bits of truth in here. You know, this most recent post that we're talking about, instead of getting jealous and angry, make yourself more beautiful to him by becoming more kind, more loving, more attentive to his needs and more gentle. Okay. Kindness, loving, gentleness. These are fruits of the spirit. These are good things. We do need to behave in those ways towards our husband. And those those are uh, virtues that we should be striving towards However, you know, we've talked about the, the dangerous things that are in here. Um, I, there's that famous quote by Spurgeon that um, discernment is not telling the difference between right and wrong so much as it is telling the difference between right and almost right. And I think that's part of what's so dangerous about some of these teachings is that they do sound almost right. Yeah. Well, let me, let me read something from somebody in our group because I think it actually displays exactly what we're talking about. She said, I was always taught that it would be my job once I became a wife to keep my husband fed well, stress-free, and sexually satisfied so that he wouldn't want to cheat on me. And what I've seen that happens, if you've ever known a woman whose husband has been unfaithful, I think it is very natural to think to yourself, if you're in that situation, what did I do wrong? That mm-hmm. My husband would do that. I think it's just natural that we think that, but that is actually the wrong, the absolute wrong thing. If you have sin, absolutely, you should repent for that. But your husband is responsible for his sin. I mean, if we lived like that, every one of our sins, thinking that someone else can be responsible for it, right? Uh, <laughs> we could do that all day long. Right. <laughs> But that's, that's so much pressure on a woman. And then when her husband isn't being the perfect husband, then what, what happens is, and they wonder what they are doing wrong. But one of the things I have seen, because I've been exposed to some of this stuff years ago, is I saw that a lot of these women would become critical of their husbands because mm. they're like, okay, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to. Why are you not being that perfect husband? 
Right. And so it, it has that danger too. How come you're not leading me like I expect you to, mm-hmm. right? Like that woman's mm-hmm. husband over there is. Right. It's that, again, back to that prosperity gospel light. It's, I, I did what I was supposed to do. Where's my reward? Where's my, <laughs> my uh, godly husband that I was supposed to get in return for doing the things that I'm doing? And so what's interesting about that is that it is, um, uh, in a way, having too high a view of how sanctified you are yourself. Um, it's, it's back to what you were saying about, um, you know, even if we could somehow be the perfect wife, your husband is still a sinner. Um, and the truth is we're still sinners too. Yeah. And that's true. That's exactly, that's, that's exactly. And, and something that we have to remember, because one of the things I've said so often is that grace is so important in marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in marriage, um, you know, we talk about this in our group sometimes. It's one of those very sanctifying experiences because we, we are still both sinners. Um, uh, Matt and I grew up hearing something about how there's areas in your life where you sin and you know you sin. And there's areas of life where you sin and you're not aware of it yet. Well, that little block has some overlap with a block that is areas where you sin and your spouse can see that you're sinning. And so they can help you see that and talk to you about that. But but that's not just a one directional thing. That's not just for the husband to do to the wife. The wife can help the husband with that as well. And so one of the things that we hear, uh, in this teaching and from these ministries is that women are taught that you should never confront your husband of sin. But of course, we believe that Matthew 18 is for husbands too. Um, And so we do believe that if a husband is in unrepentant sin, he should be confronted. Right. And this is, I'm glad you brought this one up, Angela, because I think this is so important. Your, Your husband is still your brother in Christ. Yeah, And when my husband comes to me very gently to confront me of a sin, it's because he loves me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if your husband is in ongoing unrepentant sin, then you are called to go to him. But in these circles, they, they actually say that you're not to do that. They, they take the passage that they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives, which is meant for an unbelieving husband. Right. They, they make that as part of a believing husband also. That's interesting because in, in a lot of my reading, I, I found that to be a common occurrence in a lot of these posts by these ministries to take a single verse completely out of context and make it fit the teaching that they want. And, and that is sort of what's going on there with that first Peter verse. Of course, we know that that verse is about unbelieving husbands and that verse is taken to mean that all wives at all times should never confront their husband. And we believe that that's wrong. Because just like you said, he's still your brother in Christ, and that comes with a responsibility. And and if your husband does remain in unrepentant sin, then you need to go to your pastor even. And I know That's that right. can be very, very difficult. But because, because these teachings portray 
being a wife and mom as the ultimate goal, as the most important thing, we found something today and it really does explain what we're talking about. And it's, I'm almost shocked reading it, but I think you guys need to know it's out there. It, it says the sins of the parents from past generations can bring a curse upon the womb. It can also come upon us through our own sin or negative confession. We should be careful not to speak negatively about any of our reproductive organs. Guard how you speak about menstruation when you call it the curse or other negative names. You give an opportunity for the curse of barrenness or other disorders to come to your womb. A curse on the womb can be a failure to menstruate, painful or irregular menstruation, cramps, cysts, tumors, continual miscarriage, and inability to conceive. In fact, anything that affects your reproductive organs. So think about this. I'm sure every one of our listeners knows somebody that has struggled to conceive and they're pretty much painting that as your fault. If you're, if your highest calling is to be a wife and a mom, then you must have done something to cause your infertility. Mm-hmm. And it's so heart, heartbreaking. Like I, I have some tumors in my uterus. So that must mean that I must have done something to right. cause that, you know, after we had our, our last child, we couldn't have any more children. We're, told not to have any more children. And it must be because I did something to cause that. I must have spoken negatively about my right. my organs, my reproductive organs. But this is what's out there. And so right. a woman who is struggling with infertility and she's heartbroken because she wants a baby so bad and in these circles is being told not, not only are you heartbroken because you're trying to have a baby so bad, mm-hmm. but it's probably your fault. Right. Uh, first of all, we have steeped you in the teaching that your ultimate glory is, and the fact of the the beauty of your femaleness, where your femaleness comes from, is through motherhood. So we have told you that this is where you, your value lies. And now you can't conceive. We're going to tell you that the reason why you can't is because you have, the last time you had your uh, monthly period, you called it the curse. And now you can't have a baby because of that. And so what I want people to hear about this is that this right here, this teaching here is called positive confession and negative confession. It is a form of word of faith doctrine. It is, it's coming further back than word of faith. It's coming out of something called new thought, new age uh, teaching also makes uh, use of this um, through something called the law of attraction. And this is straight up false teaching. It's, it's not the truth. You cannot uh, call your, say that you don't like getting your period and make yourself infertile by doing that. It's not, it, that is not a thing that happens. <laughs> and so it, it is particularly heinous to me that this teaching is being given to people who have already been built up to believe that that is where their only worth is. And they deeply desire to have children, number one, because that's natural, but also because they, they are in a community that has told them, this is, if you don't have children, I don't know what your worth is. So, and now we are telling them this is their fault. And that is not the truth. That, that is terrible false teaching. 
Yeah, one of one of my dearest friends, and she's she's very open about it now because it's been several years, but struggled struggled with infertility for years, and then was finally able to have one child. And I, you know, going through that with her and crying with her, and I I just can't even imagine if she had been in these circles yeah. and being taught that. Absolutely. I mean. I, I'm almost speechless because I'm I'm just my heart is so heavy for any woman mm-hmm. who has encountered this who's already hurting and then she's being told that this is biblical doctrine when it's not. Absolutely. We haven't mentioned this this one yet, but it goes along with what we're talking about right now. There's there's something out there called Trim Healthy Mama, and I believe it's a blog and it's also a podcast, but it's connected to Above Rubies. And one of our Theology Gals admins um, listened to a podcast that a friend had sent her that was from Trim I Healthy listened Mama. I listened to it also. Yeah, and I listened to about half of it. I couldn't, I couldn't do the whole thing. And it was about losing weight through positive confession. And so um, we want people to be aware that... That word of faith doctrine, word of faith, new thought, new age law of attraction is being taught by we've the quote that we read was from above above rubies and then trim healthy mommy mama associated with above rubies teaches the same thing and that is false doctrine. Yes, and so I I know I even have friends that have used Trim Healthy Mama, and I don't know enough about it. Maybe the diet aspect is fine, but ladies, you need to be really, really careful. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This this is actually goes back to why this podcast exists, because I desire for each of you ladies to know the Word of God, to know correct doctrine so that when stuff that is not consistent with God's word comes along, that you recognize it, that you know that's not biblical. Like Mm -hmm. what we just read about the fertility problems being your fault comes right from the same people that do Trim Healthy Mama. And so we we might get in trouble for that one because I know some people are big fans of it, but we, we want you to know what mm-hmm. is out there. There's some dangerous, mm-hmm. dangerous things out there. And I think too, um, we said at the beginning, you know, if our, if our uh, men friends are still with us listening, um, know that this stuff is out there and um, talk with your wife about, what she's studying and what what their group uh, might be talking about, what what the church group might be talking about, where are they getting doctrine? These some of these ministries don't appear to be doctrine ministries, and yet they are teaching doctrine. Yeah, it's funny because Lori Alexander says that older women are only supposed to be teaching younger women how to be godly wives and godly mothers. They're not supposed to be teaching doctrine. But when you teach how to be a godly wife and a godly mother from Scripture, you are teaching doctrine. That's right. That's right. And let me tell you, this also creeps into parenting. And this is where I really saw the parenting stuff in my homeschool groups. I have spoken before that I have a son that is an atheist and and rebelled and left the church. And I had somebody tell me that his rebellion was my fault. And so when you, when you have a doctrine that 
that somebody is not even born in sin, that they're kind of born with their slate clean, then there's a lot of pressure to uh, make sure that your children don't sin, and that's put on you. And I, I have one right here from Lori Alexander. It says, our job as parents is to break our children's stubborn, rebellious, and sinful will and replace it with a will that first wants to please and obey their parents, and when they grow older, with a will that wants to please and obey the Lord. Now, let me say, do we do we hope that our children are obedient and love the Lord? Absolutely. And ought we to train them in the Lord and and hope that they will walk with the Lord and never, never rebel? Absolutely. But when we understand that salvation is of the Lord, we understand that it is not of us. And so you don't have situations, okay, my child rebelled, so it must be because I neglected to do something right. I didn't break their spirit enough or their will. Right. As you were reading the quote, I I can't help but notice that she's talking about breaking their will and replacing it with a different kind of will. Boy, that sounds a lot like taking a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. And we know that that is the Lord's job and not my job. And so I, I think that this is very, very dangerous teaching, believing that changing their heart ultimately towards the Lord is something that I can accomplish through harsher discipline, more more attentive discipline, whatever it is. We know that that's not true. I, I cannot take my child's heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I have to trust the Lord for that. I give my child to the Lord in prayer every day. And I am obedient to the Lord in raising my children in his nurture and admonition, but I cannot force their heart to be replaced with, remove their will and replace it with the Lord's will. I cannot do that. Right. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and We are made alive because of the work that he does, not because of something that we do. I mean, if you see, imagine that picture of a dead man, you know, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and it is him who makes us alive in Christ. And let me say too, you are going to fail. Let me just talk to the women here for a second. You're going to fail. You're not going to be the perfect wife. You're not going to be the perfect mom. And the Lord is working in your life. He is sanctifying you that you may grow in obedience to be a better wife and mom. And you should absolutely be looking to Christ. But we do have to trust the Lord with our children and trust him to do the work in them. We do that through prayer and raising them and preaching the gospel to them every day. Absolutely. I think that what really, what a lot of these things really are is legalism. They're not true Christian virtue. They are legalism. Some of the things that are being said are rules outside of scripture. Like women must wear dresses all the time. You're going to have a difficult time making a case for that from scripture. Right. Or that tattoos are sinful. Right. I'm going to link a couple of articles in the episode notes. If you're somebody who's heard that because of the Leviticus passage, 
that saying that tattoos are wrong within its context, that's not what it's saying. And I have a couple of great articles which really look at the passage and in context and what it means. So we want to say we do think, you know, purity is good. Being a virgin until you marry is good. Reserving sex for within marriage is good. And we encourage all of those things. Mm-hmm. Debt, you know, I, I don't think that you can say that all debt is sin. You can say that we should be wise with right. our money. One of the things I, I had neglected to say it earlier, but I do want to touch on this is, is there is a strong emphasis that women should not be educated. So yeah. she's against college in general. There's no reason why a woman should go to college. Women should not be working outside of the home. So when your goal is to be a wife and stay at home, homeschooling mom, I mean, this is what is is promoted. That is the ultimate goal. That's what you should do. There's no reason for you to go to college. So part of it is is that she thinks it's unwise for women to go to college at all. She says things like if a woman's gone to college, then her husband's going to have to take a lot of time to retrain her, all those bad <laughs> things that she has learned. And so there, there really is where they don't need to disagree with their husbands or they should not. And let me say something about this part, okay? Whether I think that you can go to college without getting into a lot of debt. So there, there are ways to do that. You can start out, go to community college for very inexpensive. You can try to get different scholarships and stuff like that. I went to Bible college, you know, I, and even though it's a Wesleyan Arminian Bible college, it was a pretty uh, conservative culture at the, at the college that I went to. But I think that it's kind of ironic to say women shouldn't be educated, but then they're also wanting these women to homeschool their sons, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so, yeah. it, you know what? It, I don't think every woman needs to go to college, but to say that it is a bad thing for a woman to get an education is just kind of silly. Right. I I don't think everyone, every woman has to go to college or even needs to go to college. But that's also because I don't think every man has to go to college or needs to go to college. I don't think there's anything particular about being female that makes you need to exempt yourself from college if that is something that you want to do. I have a BSBA in finance and an MBA, and I never took out any college debt. And I am thankful for my education because it, it has been helpful to my family. So I, I think that it's, it's, there's an underlying assumption that, again, we've, we've, of course, already talked about this, but that a, a woman is not going to be or should not be aspiring to do anything outside of being a mother and a wife. And this is just unrealistic for us quite a few women who will who will remain single or who may be married and not have children and so we do not believe that there's anything sinful about a woman going to college or even unwise in many situations yeah angela and i both went to college angela went even more than i did and we are both stay at home moms right now that's right I I That's always right. wanted to get married and have children and 
back when I was college age, it was pretty typical for a lot of us ladies to go to Bible college because that's where we're supposed to meet our husbands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You go to Bible (laughs) college for your MRS degree. But, you know, we we both went to college and we both stay home with our children. And I've homeschooled part of part of the time. And, and I'm glad for a lot of the things that I did learn has been very helpful in being a mom and educating right. my children, not just in homeschooling, but just in general. Right. That is one of the things that Lori Alexander says is that going to college is going to make women less likely to be wives and mothers who stay at home with their children. And I think that actually it's in our culture right now, there is a great resurgence in interest in staying home and, and homemaking, even among non-Christians. Um, this is the emphasis on a woman's choice to do that, being honorable and being something that women want to do. I think that that is growing more and more, and there's a resurgence in that. I certainly see it in my world. I don't know if you see that in your world, um, Aline, but I, I see that as being treated as a very honorable thing, and I do not think that college is standing in many women's way of making the choice when they have children to say, yep, um, I'm not going into the job. Now I'm going to stay home with my kids. On yeah. the other hand, for a woman to work while having children, we don't believe that that is sin either. Right. And this is one of the things that a couple of women wrote to me about. This is one of the message that messages that I want to get across in this podcast is that there are a lot of women that have a lot of pressures on them and feel guilty and feel judged because they are not married or they do not have children or they have to work outside the home or they choose to work outside the home. I know a couple of women in our group who say, I really want to be home, but my husband and I simply cannot afford it right now. There's a gal in our group that when I first met her probably nine months ago, she said to me, one of our first conversations, will you pray for us? Because I really want to be home with my children, but I cannot do that now. And nine months later, she's able to be home with her children and she has a job that she does part-time from home. And some women would like to be home and are not able to. And we have some women that have chosen to work. One of the gals that reached out to me said she has her, I think her husband is like self-employed and she has a medical condition that she has to have a group plan. No one will insure her. And the only way she's able to do that is with her working. And there are reasons. And she said, and I enjoy my job. And Mm -hmm. so we, we know that some women choose to work. And ultimately, I think that's something that every couple needs to decide what is best for them. And so, you know, when there are women like the friend from our group that you just talked about who for the, for the time being they're working, but they are also taking steps and working towards being able to stay home because they long to do that, boy, heaping condemnation on them is not what we want to do. You know, we, we want to say that, you know, the Lord is sovereign and, and that he orders our desires, you know, when we are in the Lord. And so if, if you have that desire to stay home, talk with your husband, work on a plan towards making that happen. But boy, we sure don't want to be heaping condemnation and saying you're being disobedient. 
you are not obeying your feminine calling, whatever, whatever that is. It's, it's funny, you were giving a list of sort of those markers of being a wife and uh, being a mother and then, uh, you know, staying at home. I'm thinking about there's another marker sometimes in this circles. There's always one more thing. And so one of the later ones is going to be, do you have enough children? Do you have lots right. and lots of children? And so in one of my uh, things that I was reading, I came across this quote, if a woman stops having babies, she denies herself her legacy and a baby its body. Yeah. And some of you may be familiar with it being called the the quiverful movement. The Duggars have kind of made that popular in, in culture where you are just supposed to let God decide the size of your family and just keep having as many babies as as the Lord will give you. And we actually probably every few weeks, someone will try to post a post in the Theology Gals group and ask, is it wrong for us to prevent pregnancy? Mm-hmm. And again, you know what? It's not always wise to just have as many children. My and this is another thing that my husband and I faced. I and this it all it's sad to think back, but I I had something really severe happen after my third baby and then after my fourth baby, which that baby had died before birth. And then after my fifth baby, well, really my sixth, because my oldest was a twin, but anyways, my fifth pregnancy. And I, I mean, I had to call 911 a week postpartum and I had the same thing happen with my third child too. And they said, it is dangerous for you to have any more children. And my husband said, I'm not endangering your life for another child. We are not having any more Mm -hmm. children. And people actually judged me for that. And someone actually said to me, God only entrusted you with four children. He entrusted me with eight. And oh my. In, in a homeschool group I'm in. And this stuff is is out there. But I think the, the biggest concerning thing is this is how this is how people are measuring godliness. What makes you right. a godly woman if you're a married wife with no debt, no tattoos, who homeschools her children and wears dresses? That's the measure of godliness right. and never disagrees with your husband and doesn't work outside the home. Exactly. And so the section that we're talking about right now is legalism. What you just described right there is called legalism. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, Theology Gals already has several uh, episodes on the law and law gospel distinction. If, If some of our listeners may not have heard those before, there's great talk about what legalism is, what antinomianism is and neonomianism, but just for this conversation right here, legalism, what is going on with that list of things that Colleen just said is adding to God's law. It is going beyond what the scripture says and making law out of something that is not not listed in scripture as the law. Why that is not something that we do is because, again, it goes back to we don't earn our righteousness by keeping rules. It's funny, when I was talking to my husband about this 
earlier today in telling him about um, some of what we're, we were going to talk about, he, he said in the conversation, you, what I hear is pietism. And I hear it too, because it's, it's that creating of a system of outward markers that we can use to look at someone else and, or ourselves and assess a level of holiness. And those outward markers really, when it comes right down to it, do not prove any sort of internal holiness. Right. And if you think about that list that I just gave, and then think about the, the gal that I mentioned before, that is my friend who is 50 and single, you know, she, she can't have any of them. So that must mean right. that she's not a godly woman because she's unmarried with no children. So she can't homeschool or stay home or any of those things, which people are making the marks of true godliness. Right. Well, I just want to, you know, we've talked for a long time about uh, now about what these dangerous teachings are. And, and a lot of them are coming back to law gospel distinction and legalism and the fact that that's not the gospel. I just wonder if we can take a minute and talk about what the gospel is. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we need to do because you know what, for anyone who is listening right now, and maybe this is the sort of thing that you've been hearing for a long time and maybe you feel so much pressure and discouraged. I want you to walk away with comfort from this. So why don't you why don't why don't you share the gospel, Angela? Absolutely, I'd love to. The gospel is that God has provided his son to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself, and that is he lived a holy life, a holy sinless life perfectly fulfilled the covenant of works and and the father's requirements in that covenant on your behalf. And he died a torturous death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and atone for our sins. And that through faith in the finished work that he has done for you, if you trust in that finished work that Christ has done for you, then his righteousness is imputed to you and your sin is imputed to him. And then the father sees you as righteous and all of these works will not earn you your righteousness with him. And they don't need to because Christ has earned that righteousness on your behalf and done it for you because you couldn't do it for yourself. And if you are a woman, maybe you are a single woman with debt and you're not a virgin and you have tattoos, which really is a whole nother category that doesn't really matter. (laughs) Not actually a problem. Right. But, but if, but if you are a woman and you, you have a bunch of debt and you have a past, I want you to know that if, if you are in Christ, if you have saving faith in Christ, then you have forgiveness of sins and you are clothed in his righteousness, because Mm -hmm. he obeyed the law perfectly for you. And you will be sanctified. We know that from his word, you will grow in obedience. You will produce good works because of the sanctification that he is doing in you. But you need to know that there is, there is hope. There is hope. And if you're not in a good church, 
and you're not even sure how to find a good church, feel free to email us at theologygals at gmail.com. We will help you try to find a good church. And if you're struggling with some of these things, go and talk to your pastor. Yeah. I'm reminded of a little bit of the conversation I had with my husband this morning. He pointed out that it was really interesting that she mentioned and talked about debt because, boy, it just brings my mind back to the gospel. It made me think of the words of, of a song. There's a line in a song um, that that we listen to sometimes, and it says, we stood neath a debt we could never afford. Boy, that's the real debt that... <laughs> that we need to be concerned with and how easy it is to have that debt wiped away because Christ paid it for us. Um, the, the, the rest of the words um, to that line, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. He, he paid our debt for us. And that is where our hope is. It is not in these things. It's not in working any works. Our hope is in the righteousness of Christ. And if we trust in him, that righteousness is ours. And if you are a single woman and you think I've got all these things in my past and no man is going to want me, I'm going to tell you right now that godly men, they they are looking for a woman who has been forgiven and loves the Lord. Amen. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I know that we have, we have women that are single and content in it and some that are single and really desire marriage. And I know sometimes that you struggle, you know, as a single woman, at least some of the ones that I've talked to from our group and your identity is in Christ. That that's really what is most important. You know, this this whole episode, we hadn't planned it, but we wanted to talk about it because of all the stuff that's been going on. And there's so much more that we could say because there's mm-hmm. just so many dangerous teachings within this. I mean, I, I'm just so sad at some of the things that that are on these pages as we've been reading. Angela and I have been passing back and forth all the different things that we've found. And several people have been sending me mm-hmm. some of these these things. And my desire is, is just that women will, will have hope, will have the hope of Christ, will look to Christ. Amen. So, but this whole thing was kind of a, yeah, about that. Like we usually do. <laughs> we the, don't need to end with, yeah, about that. Yeah, we this, did a whole episode of, yeah, about yeah. that. And we do have, we do have some other episodes coming, coming up in the, in the future. I know that we kind of started an evangelism series and as time goes on, I do want to do a couple more episodes in that they just might not be all together at the same time. We do have an episode we're going to be releasing in the next few weeks about parenting teenagers. That's been a big request, but that one is not going to be just for parents of teenagers because we talk a lot about parenting younger ones in preparation for parenting teenagers and like I said, we're going to do one on modesty and then one that Angela and I are both really excited about is faith and the internet, yeah. which we have a lot of things we want to talk about in, in that. Fun little prep for that. That's right. Now, that, one's <laughs> going to, that one's going to be a lot of fun. And there, there's kind of good and bad with the internet. And we've seen that this week. Um, yep. I think it, I do think that Lori Alexander's post this week that went viral 
really did spark a lot of really good conversations. And so I agree. I, the Lord, the Lord has used it. So there's two other things I wanted to mention before we go. And that is, if you enjoy this podcast, I would love if you would go to iTunes and write us a little review. That would mean a lot. And I would also ask that you would continue to pray for us. And then if you would like to support us, I will put a link in the episode notes to our Patreon. Some people just support us a few dollars a month. It just really just helps cover our monthly expenses. So I will link everything that we talked about today in the episode notes. I actually have quite quite a few links. There are several people who wrote responses to Lori Alexander this week, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and link all of those. And I, I'm going to link her original post too if you want to see, you know, the sorts of things that we are talking about and referring to. So we appreciate you spending this time with us and we will see you next week.